The following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. Well, we're going to be in Acts chapter 8 today. And as you're turning to the scripture there, if you've not already found it, uh, let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard of the phrase, a divine appointment? You ever heard that? Ever used that phrase? If you think about those words, usually what that refers to is uh, you have had some sort of situation or circumstance, something in your life has caused you to think, you know, God just did that. God just arranged some things because uh, someone came across my path or I had a particular need and someone showed up right at the right time or something happened and you acknowledged, well, that was God. That was a divine appointment. Let me tell you briefly two incidents that have happened in my life where I've seen that happen up close and personal. The first one uh, goes back 20 years, and I, I believe I've told this story before. Uh, this was uh, an, an opportunity for me and three of my friends. At the time, we, were, uh, we went out to, uh, to Wyoming and Montana and Idaho, that whole area out west, and um, we went, uh, we had uh, connected up with a, a local pastor that was in a town called Wilson, Wyoming, and uh, we, we kind of connected with him through their Baptist convention out there in the state of Wyoming, and we were on a short-term mission trip, and so we actually went into the national parks and camped out uh, in a tent out in the middle of nothing, and uh, we would go down the, tra- the most uh, populated trails, in the national parks where we could find the most people and we would just kind of set up some impromptu little worship services out in the parks and uh, hand out gospel tracts and just try to engage people in conversation, tell people about Jesus. And we were out there uh, a total of six days. Well, the last day, you know, we hiked all over. The, we went to, we saw some things. I mean, I saw, if you've never been out there and you've just seen pictures, pictures don't do it justice. If you see these mountain ranges and the just it's, it's amazing all the wildlife all the things you see out there well anyway after all these different parts of the parks we saw the last day we thought hey we've hiked up to a peak one peak that we went up to called avalanche peak it was 10,580 feet went to the very top and looked and you could see for miles and so all the strenuous stuff was done so the last day let's do something easy something pretty let's just walk around this lake and go see this waterfall and then well so long story short we had planned to go across this lake see the waterfall and then there was a boat that would take you back across the lake to the parking lot so we were going to walk over and then take the boat back all right well that was the plan okay so anyway we uh we got over there almost over there and uh we ran in a corner and lo and behold first time all week the day before we left and there's a bear standing in the middle of the trail. So I was second in line out of the four of us, and next thing you know, I was first in line because the person in front of me kind of quickly got behind me. So that, you know, that didn't make me too happy. So uh, he was taking pictures while I was standing there looking at a bear. Well, I'll just say we got out of the bear situation. We, we kind of did what they told us on the video, you know, Wave your arms and don't run because they can run 40 miles an hour. So, you know, you don't have to be the fastest. You just don't have to be last. So if you trip somebody, you know, you're all right. But y'all all all right? Everybody okay? (laughs) Okay. So we didn't have to do that. Uh, The bear walked away safely and we were all safe. Well, anyway, we get over there to the boat. We see the water. We see everything. Time to go back. Well, guess what? It's 625 in the evening and there's a sign. Last boat. Six o'clock. And so now the only thing standing between us and our vehicle is a two-mile walk back through the same place we just saw the bear. And so we were thinking we can get on the boat and go across the lake. We're fine. Uh, but not, not so. We have to, and, and it's getting dark. See, that was another part of the equation. So uh, daylight's fading. We have to go. And so I'm just, oh, no. I mean, I'm just sick. We've got to go back through bear country. So... We just, nothing to do, you got to just go. So we take off, going back. And the whole time I'm thinking, God, why in the world is the last boat at 6 o'clock? 
we had a good plan, you know, but that, not, not so. So I'm, I'm asking out loud. I'm, I'm walking, you know, briskly, and I'm asking God, um, what are we supposed to learn from this? You know, show me something here because, uh, you, you know, I'm walking towards where I just saw a bear, and uh, so just help me out here. Well, it was about five minutes down the trail, and we happened upon two other guys that had stopped to rest at the little bend in the path. We, we'd gone about half a mile, had about a mile and a half to go. Well, it turns out I was able to uh, walk with one of those guys the rest of the way back to the parking lot telling him about Jesus the whole way. So God had set these two people sitting there at a trail that we weren't planning on going to so I could talk to him about Jesus, share the gospel. He ended up going to dinner with us too. And once we got back to the, to the parking area, and we spent the rest of that evening, all of us, having conversations about the gospel, telling this guy, 20 years old, telling him about Jesus. It was a divine appointment. Not what I planned, but it's what God planned. The other situation is I was in Peru uh, on a mission trip, and um, we had, had finished up our, our eight days. That we were up in the Andes Mountains. Uh, something about elevation, I don't know, because out in Wyoming we were up high elevation. Uh, in Peru we were at 12,000 feet in the Andes Mountains in these little villages. And uh, we were on our way back down the mountain to the city uh, that night. And then the next morning we'd fly out and come back to the States. Well, we're in a van, there's eight of us, uh, and, and you're in the middle of nothing. Uh, switchbacks down the side of the mountains, you know, just you get seven hours in a van to civilization. You're, you're, there's nothing around, nothing. Well, we hit a rock, it blows a tire out. So now we're in a van with a flat tire, in the, literally, in the middle of nothing. So we start praying, God, what, what, do, we, what do we need to do? And here, here's why. We walked out, said, well, we'll just change the tire. We've got a spare. Open up the back of the van. The spare is flat. So we're stuck in the middle of the mountains of Peru with nothing. We start praying. And one of the fellows that was on the trip prayed specifically, Lord, we need an air pump. Literally, we were, I mean, we're praying for God to help us. He said, Lord, we need an air pump. So we're sitting there praying, wondering what we're going to do. About five minutes, we hear this faint sound of a little a little, uh, little four-stroke motor. What in the world is that? And the dust starts to fly. You know, you see them coming before they get there. Here comes a, a little Peruvian man on a, uh, a little dirt bike. And guess what he's got strapped to the back of the motorcycle? An old hand air pump on the back of his motorcycle. And we just look at each other. He stops, and, and we start, our translator starts talking to him. And we're just like... Are you serious? The man prayed for an air pump, and a Peruvian man on a little dirt bike shows up in the middle of nowhere with an air pump. So we start pumping up the tire. One guy's pump, we're taking turns, because, you know, hand pump on a tire is going to take a while. So one person pumps, the other one's over here talking through the translator, telling this other Peruvian man about Jesus, sharing a gospel tract with him that's written in Spanish. So we're sharing the gospel with this man who, who God just sent to us sitting there, pumping up the tire. We take turns, take shifts, go over there and join the conversation. So that goes on for about 20 minutes. And then we say, hey, you know, this, this is enough to get us down the road a little ways. Thank you so much for stopping. And uh, we give him a, a couple gospel tracks to take with him, and off he goes. So we, we load back up in the van, and here we go down the road. Well, we go a little bit farther, and the driver says, you know, I, we're going a little slow. It's going to take us forever. I don't know if we're going to make it before you know, the day is out. We, we really need a better source of air for this tire. We, we need some help. We start praying again. We're just coasting down this little, little road. We start praying, Lord, we need some more air for the tire. We need, we need help here. We're not going to make it down the mountain. We need, we, need you to, we need you to show up. So we round the next set of curves. And sitting in this curve is a rollback, record truck and there's a Peruvian man sitting behind the driver's seat got his feet kicked up on the window got his little dog sitting on the seat beside him 
and we stop to say hello. Well, it just so happens that this particular truck has an air compressor on the side of it with about a 40-foot hose. And the driver jumps out and says, hey, would you mind uh, if we borrowed your air compressor? we got a, a low tire here in our spares flat. He says, oh, sure, go ahead. So one of them hops out, starts dealing with the tire. The rest of us go talk to him, give him a gospel tract, start telling him about Jesus. So not only did God send us a motorcycle with an air pump on it and a gospel conversation, he, well, okay, if that's not enough, let me show off a little bit. I'm going to park a Peruvian man right up your path that's got an air compressor on his truck. You think I can't, God says, you think I can't handle that little need? That's nothing. Let me just show you what I can do. Just, just trust me. Just trust me. I know what I'm doing. That's just, that's just two isolated situations that I personally got to see God do something amazing. Not only did He meet our needs, but He gave us opportunities to share Jesus with two men that, that hadn't heard. See, God knows what He's doing and He expects us to do what He asks us to do. Evangelism is the, the, the process of sharing, being a herald of the truth of the gospel. Now, J.I. Packer, who's a, a phenomenal scholar, just, just recently passed away, uh, and he, uh, he wrote a beautiful book called Knowing God. If you want to read a, a great book, Knowing God by J.I. Packer. He also wrote another book called Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. Let me just share a brief quote from this book. J.I. Packer writes, The commission to publish the gospel and make disciples was never confined to the apostles, nor is it now confined to the church's ministers. It is a commission that rests upon the whole church collectively and therefore upon each Christian individually. All God's people are sent to do as the Philippians did and shine as lights in the world holding forth the word of life. Every Christian, therefore, has a God-given obligation to make known the gospel of Christ. And every Christian who declares the gospel message to any fellow man does so as Christ's ambassador and representative according to the terms of His God-given commission. Such is the authority and such the responsibility of the church and of the Christian in evangelism. See, we have a job to do. We have a message to share. And it's a commission. It's not a suggestion. It's a commandment. Go, make disciples of all nations. It's not just a good idea. It's a command. That's, what, that's why the church exists. That's why we're here. It's our reason for existence. So in Acts chapter 8, on the heels of a terrible, terrible situation for the church where the first martyr, Stephen, just for telling the truth, just for sharing the truth of Christ, he gets killed for his efforts, dragged out the city and stoned to death. And we first get introduced to Saul, who was standing there giving his full agreement to the execution of this Christian man. So in chapter 8, we're introduced to another gentleman who was also one of the seven who were chosen in chapter 6 to help meet the needs of the church. Philip is his name. So if you would follow along with me as I read, I'm going to start in the second half of verse 1, chapter 8. We're just going to read chapter 8 real quickly. And uh, we're going to make some notes along the way. And then at the end of our uh, survey of this chapter, I want to just give you some application points, some personalized application to answer four questions. This is four questions we want to ask and answer of every text of Scripture when we read it and study it. Here, here they are. First of all, what does this passage teach me about God? What does this passage teach me about God? Secondly, what does this passage teach me about sinful humanity, about man? Third, what does God want me to know? And finally, number four, what does God want me to do based on this scripture? What do I learn about God? What do I learn about man? 
What does God want me to know and what does God want me to do? Let's read together. You can follow along as I read beginning in Acts 8 verse 1, the second portion there. Here's what the Bible says. There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Now devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits came out of many who were possessed, crying with a loud voice, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. And they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man has the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God... They sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may also receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness, in the, in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you've said may come upon me. Now, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. That's talking about Peter and John returned to Jerusalem. The rest of the folks stayed with Philip there in Samaria. Now, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise. Go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. This comes from Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. He says, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. And who can speak of his generation, for his life is taken away from the earth? And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. 
But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Father, I, I pray in Jesus' name that you take this text of Scripture, your holy word, that would give us truth and discernment and wisdom, help us have understanding of what we've heard and read. And Lord, I pray that your purposes would be accomplished in us, that as we understand this word, we'd be obedient to it, and we'd honor you as we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Now this is an interesting uh, pair of stories because you see right off that God has a plan for the gospel. He has a, a definite plan for his gospel. If you remember all the way back in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, what does Jesus say to his disciples right before he ascends into heaven? You remember? He, they're asking about, well, when, when are you going to do this? When are you going to do this? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know times and seasons fixed by the Father's authority. But he says this in verse 8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You remember where? In Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Right? That was the commission, right? Jerusalem, all Judea, and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Well, guess what just happened after Stephen died? A great persecution arose against the church, and what happened to all the disciples? They scattered like a good plate of Waffle House hash browns. They were scattered. But what did they do when they got scattered? They preached the gospel. You think God doesn't know what's going on? You think God is sitting on His throne, or maybe He stood up from His throne, and He's, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? They just killed Stephen. That just throws my plan into disarray. What am I going to do now? God doesn't do that. God never does that. You know why? Because God's never surprised. You know why? Because God's the creator of the universe. He knows what's going on. He, he, did, he didn't jump up off his throne shocked that Stephen got killed because he preached the gospel and told the truth and confronted the religious establishment. See, this great persecution that you see that arose in Jerusalem, there in 8-1, persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and then it says in verse, uh, at the end of verse 1, they were all scattered. But look, where were they scattered? You see, just read it. Look where they were scattered. Throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Kind of hard to be a witness in an area when you don't go there, isn't it? So God said, here, watch this. I'm going to scatter all my people out into places I already told them they're going to be my witnesses. So they went to all Judea and Samaria. Now the apostles remained in Jerusalem. So then it says, Saul, in verse 3, was ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging men and women off, committing them to prison. So Saul was leading the charge against the church. Now, do you think that means that God's plan is messed up? No, see, God's plan considers the actions even of the wicked. But they don't... You, you, think, you think a human being is going to do something that's going to stop the plan of God. Change God's mind about, oh, well, I didn't know he was going to rebel against me like that. I had no idea Saul was going to start taking people to prison. I guess, well, I guess we will just won't tell them about the gospel anymore. That, that's not how that works. God's got a plan and a purpose. And He is sovereign over all creation. You know why? Because He created it. He created it all. He knows. It's His. So He has a plan for the gospel. So then the, the rest of the chapter tells us about how the gospel spreads to Samaria and then how the gospel begins to spread to the ends of the earth. So, so let's just kind of summarize as we read what is happening here in these two stories, because from verse uh, 4 down to verse 25 is the first story, and then from verse 26 to 40 is the second story, all about what this brother Philip did as he served. Now remember, Philip was one of those sevens. He was like one of the first deacons. He was also a very, very powerful evangelist. 
which means he knew the gospel really well, and he was sharing it as he went. So it says in verse 4, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So that's, that's important. Verse 4 is important. They, they were scattered. You remember why they were scattered? Anybody remember why? What happened in verse 1? Persecution, right? A great persecution broke out against the church. Now, they were scattered because they were running for their lives, so to speak. So what would it have been really easy to do? If you're running, being scattered from where you were because of persecution, what would it have been most, most comfortable or most easy to do? I'm thinking, hide, right? <laughs> Run and hide, okay? If people are after you to kill you, Maybe you want to run and hide. Well, that's not what they did. See, verse four, that's why verse 4 is so crucial to the story. It says, those who were scattered went about preaching the Word. So even in, listen, this is, this is good for us. Even in the midst of opposition or persecution, they didn't forget their purpose. They didn't forget the reason they were put there. They didn't forget the reason why they have been given the Holy Spirit of God and empowered in such a way. Jesus said, you shall be my witnesses. That means that's just how it's going to be. Not, hey, if you have time, it'd be great if you could tell somebody about me. That's not how Jesus said that. It wasn't a suggestion, hey, if it's not too much trouble for you, if you can fit it into your schedule, if no one opposes you and everyone allows you to speak, then why don't you just throw something in there about the gospel? That's not what he said. He said, you're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit and you're going to be my witnesses. That's just a fact. Okay? Does everybody understand that? This was not just a, an option among many. This, was, this is what Jesus told them to do, and they were going to do it. So verse 4 tells us that's exactly what they did. didn't matter that they were scattered about. They were preaching the Word. Philip went to Samaria. Now, I want to tell you something real quick, just so you can understand the, the context of the story. I did some, some research on some maps, and you won't be able to see this uh, from here, and I tried to put it on the screen, but I couldn't really get the clarity I wanted as far as to, to zoom in. So I'll just hold this up, and you won't be able to see it, but I'm going to just show you in broad movements of my hand, pointing to areas on the map to hopefully give you a, a, a frame of reference, okay? Jerusalem is right here. This is the Dead Sea. So right at the north, north end of the Dead Sea, right to the west there, there's Jerusalem right here, okay? So that's where they were, all right? Now, the region of Judea is all this right here below Jerusalem, okay? Now, Samaria, the region of Samaria is north. It's all up here, okay? So when they were scattered, they were scattered that way. It's like they went north and south, okay, from Jerusalem. That's when, when the persecution came out. They were scattered. Now, here's what happened. Philip went up here to Samaria. Now, there's this town right up here that's going to come into play on the coast of the Mediterranean. It's called Caesarea, Right up here in Samaria, all right? So Philip's up here in this area somewhere, and that's where he's preaching. So just remember that. Jerusalem's down here. Some, uh, Samaria's up here. So he's somewhere in, in one of these towns in Samaria, all right? So for the first half of the story, that's where he is. And he's doing great things. Signs and wonders by the power of the Holy Spirit, preaching the gospel. People are believing the message, being baptized. Even someone who previously... Was, was like the center of attention. This, this brother named Simon. He's a magician. And it says that people thought he was of God. Because I, I don't want you to know this. If you see in your Bible, in verse 10, they were saying, the people, about Simon, this man is, not has, is the power of God that is called great. Now, in my Bible, the word great is capitalized which signifies they think this man is one of God's people because he's doing magic. But when Philip shows up and he preaches the good news of the kingdom of God and the Bible says, and the name of Jesus Christ, what happens? People believe the gospel. 
people get baptized. So Philip, because he's brought the truth of Jesus to this area, now he throws a wrench in what Simon was doing. Okay, Even to the point Simon believed. You see that? Look at the text here, going to verse 12, 13. Simon believed. Even Simon, says verse 13, even Simon himself believed, and he was baptized. Okay, so now he's following Philip around. So he's like, oh, this is, this is a whole new life for me. Now, look what happens after that. Peter and John show up, and they are... Uh, this, is, uh, this is one of these parts of Scripture which is uh, descriptive, not prescriptive. Let me tell you what I mean by that. In this part of uh, history, prior to the, the death of all the apostles, because, you know, an apostle was one who was commissioned by God, but also one of the criteria for being an apostle was you had to be, it was, uh, the way they did it in Acts 1, when they replaced Judas, it was someone who had been a part of the ministry, the whole time Jesus had been on earth, and then also someone who was a physical eyewitness of the resurrection of Christ. That was one of the qualifications of an apostle. So, just to say, it's 2020 now. There are no apostles alive, okay? Because you had to be an eyewitness of the resurrection. All right, so understand that the way the Holy Spirit was being endowed to these folks, these new believers, that was a particular moment in history. That is not uh, what happens today because there are no apostles alive. Okay, So just understand, we get the Holy Spirit. When, when Jesus saves you, you got the Holy Spirit. Okay, Filled with the Holy Spirit. All right, So let's just understand that. But in this particular time and place and situation... Peter and John came down for all the new believers and were laying their hands on them praying and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, this is what Simon saw. And Simon said, hey, I want, I want part of that. I want to be able to do that. A little jealousy, a little envy. I want to be able to give people the Holy Spirit like that. So he offered them some money. Hey, how much is it going to take? How, how much will it take for me to be able to do that? So immediately he gets rebuked. You know, Peter says, you, you're going to perish with that kind of attitude. Your heart's not right with God. You thought you could get the gift of God with money. That's not how it works. It's a work of God. It's a work of God. So he gets rebuked, and, and he then understands. He repents. Verse 24, Simon said, pray for me. To the, he, he's like, I'll pray, but you pray for me. Because he recognizes the authority under God of Peter and John. He says, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you've said may come upon me. So Simon gets kind of put back in his place and, and gets taught, gets corrected. That that's not how the Holy Spirit is given. It's a work of God, okay? Now, verse 25 is kind of like an intermediate verse, kind of a, a verse that just says, okay, this is a, a break in the story. Peter and John are going to go back to Jerusalem and they're going to preach all the way back. So you remember Samaria? Right? Samaria's up here. So Peter and John come from Jerusalem. And then when they go back, all the way down to Jerusalem, all these little towns, all the way back to Jerusalem, they're preaching the word. All right? So, now guess what happens to Philip? Would you say Philip is having a good day? He's preaching. Signs and wonders being done. People believing the gospel, getting baptized. Right? That's a good thing. It's a revival. Philip's in the middle of a revival. Okay? So he's under no, no pressure to leave. He's in the middle of, of some good stuff, right? And so for just sake of time, I'm going to try to speed this up and try to help you understand what's about to happen. God tells Philip to leave. Can you imagine? All right, so we've we got a tent set up out on the ball field. There's a thousand people gathered. People are getting saved left and right. We've got a, a, a line, we got a line of baptisms that's going to take us weeks and weeks to, to get done because so many people have got saved, Okay? Picture it. And then God says, Hey, uh, I, need you to go, I need you to go down here. I need you to leave this. Anybody want to leave something like that? Not me. If, I mean, if, I, saw, if I saw people getting saved left and right, you know, baptized, 
and God doing a mighty work. I wouldn't want to leave that. But verse 26, God tells Philip, hey, I got a divine appointment for you. I need you to leave. I need you to go south to Gaza. Now look at this. He's up here in Samaria. Remember, Jerusalem's way down here. Well, guess where Gaza is? Way down here. All right? He's up here. And, and God tells him, hey, I need you to go on this desert road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. So there's a way from Jerusalem to Gaza, and he's up here. He's got to go all the way back down here. And let me give you a reference point real quick, because I, I did some studying. Gaza is 50 miles southwest of Jerusalem. Samaria is 35 miles north of Jerusalem. They didn't have a bus, and he couldn't call an Uber. He had to walk, maybe ride a donkey or something. But he wasn't getting in a car, okay? You know how long it takes us to go 35 miles? Depending on traffic and the speed limit, maybe 35 or 40 minutes. Okay? This, this was a much bigger deal for Philip. He's way up north. 35 miles, the region of Samaria, depending on which town he was in, at least 35 miles north of Jerusalem. The road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza, Gaza's 50 miles from Jerusalem. So somewhere on that road. So this, he's, got to, he's got to hoof it, okay? That's a long way, all right? He says, I need you to go down there because you have some work to do. So Philip goes. He, he comes upon a, an Ethiopian who's a, a court official for the queen of Ethiopia. Now, let me just tell you this. I did some more research. The region of Ethiopia, which uh, in biblical times you see the names of regions Cush uh, and Seba, and that name is what became Ethiopia, that area. So in, in today's time, you have Egypt, which is south, way south of, of uh, Israel, and then below that you have the Sudan, and below that you have Ethiopia. And the Red Sea runs that that whole link there to the west of Saudi Arabia. So Ethiopia is way down here. here. Here's the mileage. Ethiopia is roughly 1,500 miles south of Jerusalem. You see how far? The Bible says the Ethiopian had come to Jerusalem to worship. It's not a quick trip. He'd come from Ethiopia all the way, about 1,500 miles to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning on that long trip. But he was between Jerusalem and Gaza. And God said, Philip, you need to go. Before he gets too far away, you need to go. So Philip goes, and it doesn't tell us in the, in the text how long it took him, but he went. And he saw the Ethiopian in the chariot. And he was close enough to hear that the Ethiopian was reading from Isaiah. And he was reading the particular part of Isaiah where Isaiah is talking about Jesus. Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. And God tells Philip, go up there, join the chariot. So can you, can you picture the chariot's probably, you know, trucking along a little bit. Philip's on foot, so it's like running beside him. Hey, what you doing? Can I talk to you a minute? And uh, he says, you understand what you're reading? Well, how can I understand unless somebody explains it to me? You know what that is? It's a divine appointment. God, God did that. So the Ethiopian invites him up. Philip takes that scripture, Old Testament, mind you, and beginning with that scripture, he preaches the gospel, tells him the good news about Jesus. The Ethiopian gets saved clearly because the text says he, he needs to be baptized. They find some water, he baptizes him, and so Philip has another miracle of God happen to him, and then guess what happens? Philip, I swear, the poor fellow, he, he can't enjoy any of the success God gives him because you know what happens as soon as he baptizes the Ethiopian? God snatched him away, and he was gone. He just vanished. He just vanished. But it says the Ethiopian, look at, look at the text, Verse 39, he went on it. He, he, wasn't even, he wasn't even shocked by the fact that Philip just wasn't there anymore. It says he went on his way rejoicing. You know why? He just got saved. 
And you know what he was going to do? You know how far he had to go yet to get home? Probably 1,400 some odd miles. What do you suppose he's going to do when he got there? Anybody got a guess? He's going to tell somebody else about Jesus. That's right. See, Philip just commissioned a missionary to Ethiopia, 1,500 miles from Jerusalem. But God put him there to tell somebody about Jesus, explain the gospel. So now he sent. Do you see what's happening? You see the fulfillment of the word of Christ. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He's already started. Paul hadn't even, Paul hadn't even gotten saved yet. Okay, Paul hadn't got saved yet. He's already sent a missionary 1,500 miles away from Jerusalem because that's how God does stuff. He, he does things that baffle us. It boggles the mind what Jesus can do. Now, before we get finished here, let me just tell you what happened to Philip. Philip says, verse 40, Philip found himself, <laughs> I love that, he just found himself, like he, he was unconscious for a minute and he came to, he's like, oh, well I'm not where I was, where am I? He's in a town called Azotus. Well guess what, alright? Here's Jerusalem, here's Gaza. Well this next little town right up north of Gaza is Azotus, it's right there. Okay, now, Azotus is 22 miles north of Gaza, right there, okay? So that's where Philip found himself, right there. After he had witnessed to the Ethiopian and seen him believe and get baptized, so now here he is, okay? You know what he did? He's right here. Remember that town I told you up here, Caesarea? Up here in Samaria? Well, Philip's down here, okay? And the Bible says he went back north to Samaria. Well, it says here that Caesarea is 54 miles north of Azotus. You know what that means? When Philip came to right here, now it doesn't say he took a, a, you know, a couple days rest, which you know, would have been perfectly understandable. It says he started going back home, back up to Samaria. And it says, so he's down here, and there's all these different towns all the way up the coast. It says he went from Azotus, and he said, look at, look at verse 40. Look what the text says. He preached in every town until he got to Caesarea. So he didn't just travel 54 miles. He traveled 54 miles sharing the gospel everywhere he went. So he just reached the whole coast of the Mediterranean from Azotus to Caesarea preaching the gospel. That's what, I mean, that's what the Bible says, isn't it? He found himself in Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. That's what it says. So do you see what God just did? God just arranged a massive missionary effort with one guy. That's just, just one person. What, what if all of us, what if the whole church was open to the call of God to share the gospel and just say, okay, Lord, whatever, wherever, whenever, you tell me I'm there. What if that was the mindset of evangelism in the church? Well, hey, I got the gospel. You've given me the word. And you just wherever, wherever I go, whoever I see, whatever they're doing, you just tell me I'm there. Well, here, here's the funny thing about that. He already told us. <laughs> That's kind of a little side note there. He already told us. So that means that's our attitude. That's got to be our perspective. Lord, you've given us the commission. Go make disciples of all nations. So that means wherever, whenever, whoever, I've got the message now. I'm just I'm going to just share it with whoever. Philip, he, he went throughout 
every, all the towns in a 54 mile. That's a long walk, y'all. 54 miles? It's a long walk. But it says he, as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. All right, so I know we're going a little over here, so let me just get to the application. All right, here we go. Four questions. What does this scripture teach us about God? Well, it teaches us a couple things. I mean, probably lots of things. Here, here's a couple highlights that I, that I saw. God knows more than we do. In fact, God knows everything. Also, God has a plan, and it's always better than ours. God knows more than we do. God has a plan. His plan is always better than mine. Every time, no exception. That's what I see as I read the scriptures, I understand these, these stories and the, the events that God orchestrated here just in the life of Philip and in how he used him to share the gospel. God knows more than we do. God has a plan that's always better than mine. Number two, what does the scripture teach us about sinful humanity? Well, a couple things, and there's probably more, but a couple things. People sometimes do things that are very wrong and they think they're right. Prime example, verse 3. Saul was ravaging the church. Dragging men and women out of their house, throwing them in jail. He thought he was, ser he thought he was serving God. He thought he was doing what was right. He was very wrong. You know why? He didn't have Jesus. Also, people sometimes get jealous over the success or abilities of others. Simon, trying to get the gift of God by paying money. Well, hey, I want to do that. I want, people to, I want people to look at me like that. I want to be, I want to be important. So, hey, how much I got to pay you? How, what do I have to pay to get that? And that's stuff we know. We know that about sinful us. Sinful people. Number three. Based on this scripture, what does God want us to know? Well, there's a few things. And probably more, but here's a few things. God sometimes allows persecution or struggles in our lives to push us in the right direction. The text tells us, but you think those folks were going to be all fired up to be scattered out of Jerusalem until they had that persecution break out? Don't know, but the text says the persecution broke out and that's why they scattered. They went where God had told them to go, but the persecution had to break out before they went. Okay? So sometimes God allows those things in our lives to push us in the direction he wants us to go. Just think, hey, just think about your own life for a few minutes and I bet you'll come up with several examples of where some hardship, some challenge, some struggle has come into your life and it caused you, it pushed you in a direction maybe God wanted you to go, that you had been reluctant to go until that challenge. I, I, I had, it happened to me in my office this morning, reviewing this this morning, and I read it and I just, had, I, I just stopped for a minute because it just hit me. Oh, yeah, that, that applies to me, doesn't it? God allows stuff like that to push us in the right direction. Also, God knows what he's doing despite our confusion or our lack of knowledge. God always knows what he's doing. He doesn't, he's not, he's not confined like we are. He, he's unlimited knowledge. Power, strength, presence. He, he's God. He's the creator. He's almighty. He doesn't have the limitations we have. He always knows what he's doing. Never doubt that God know, he knows what he's doing. We, we have uncertainty everywhere in our lives. God doesn't. He knows. Also, God can be trusted at all times, in all circumstances. God can be trusted. And lastly, under that, God will bring his purposes to pass in this world uh, despite opposition. 
God, God shows us that. That's something He wants us to know on this passage. Opposition doesn't stop God's plans. It just it works as part of it. That's why He allows it. All right, last thing. Based on this scripture, what does God want us to do? And this may be, it's all important, but this may be the most important part. What does God want us to do based on this truth? First, God wants us to trust Him at all times, in all circumstances, because He is trustworthy. Second, God wants us to be obedient to His Word, even when we don't understand, maybe especially when we don't understand, because He can be trusted. So God wants us to trust Him. God wants us to be obedient. Third, God wants us to preach the word, share the gospel, and love people. That's why we exist. Share the gospel. Love people. And finally, in order to preach the word and share the gospel, we have to spend some time in here, in this word. You've got to know it before you can share it. You can't give somebody something you don't have. We've got, you know, I feel like it's gotten overshadowed in all this COVID-19 and all this unrest in our culture, but you remember our vision for this year? Our 2020 vision, you know, it's so cute to say. You remember everybody, every single person in the church reading the Bible every day. Every single person in the church spending time in prayer Every day. Somebody, somehow in the church, involved in missions. Right? You remember, remember those parts of our vision? That, the first two especially. Every day, read the Bible. Every day, pray. I'll be the first to tell you all, I've missed some days. And all it does is just cause me to, I've got to get back to what I'm supposed to be doing. We're human. We're going we're gonna to stumble. I've, I've hit more days than I've missed, but, I, but just, I've missed some days. And I've suffered because of it. Because your day's not going to go how it's supposed to go if you don't spend time with the person you're supposed to spend time with. Does that make sense? I've said about all I need to say about that, and I know it's been a little bit later than normal, but we need to do what God wants us to do. We need to trust God when we don't understand. He alone is worthy of all that. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.